Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. I'm actually going to, going to read this whole section. And then three points that we'll try to draw from it. This is after the crucifixion and resurrection. In Luke 24, 13, we read, And behold, two, uh, two of them, two disciples, or two followers of Christ, were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you were exchanging with one another as you were walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who is a prophet, mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Pray with me one more time. Father, forgive us for our sin for our hardness of heart, for our unbelief that manifests itself in so many various ways. Father, not only have we done things that we should not have done, we have not done the things that we ought to do. We have failed to live worthy of the calling by which we have been called. But because of your great mercy and because of what Jesus has done for us, we ask that you would come to sin one more time. That by your spirit you would give us understanding into your word, that by understanding and seeing clearly what we have here in the pages of scripture, we would come to see Christ more clearly. And that in seeing Christ, we would see the glory of the Father. 
Father, use this time to change hearts and minds. Use it to bring repentance where necessary, comfort and encouragement where needed. Do all things according to your will and according to your good purposes. May we taste and see that the Lord is good at through the scriptures this morning we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Spiritual sight before natural sight. It's a curious passage that you have here because of the way that, one, Jesus appears to be in total control of this interaction that he has with these Emmaus disciples. And yet, being in total and complete control, uh, his, what appears to be at least unwillingness or maybe delay, in actually giving them the ability to see who it is that they're conversing with. It's a, it's a very strange thing. But all of this ultimately, I think, works out in such a way that as you read this passage in terms of how Jesus interacts with these, uh, these disciples, these followers, how that fits even within uh, some of the bigger points or the broader message of Luke, uh, in general, all of this starts to give us an appreciation for what's happening in this interaction, in this dialogue. And you start to see that in some ways this is, this is a paradigm, this is uh, programmatic for the way that, that God, for the way that Christ continues to engage people to reveal himself. So, Three things that I want to try to draw from this, and we could, we could do more. This is one of those passages where, uh, you know, you just continue to peel back the layers, you find more and more and more, and tentacles going out to all kinds of other passages of Scripture. We're going to try to limit it to three. So here's point number one. The only way to truly see Jesus is to see Him through the Scriptures. The only way... To truly, and you might want to underline truly there, that, that needs to be emphasized. The only way to truly see Jesus is to see him through Scripture or through the Scriptures. So here's Jesus having just exited the tomb. There's talk, there's chatter about the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus' body is nowhere to be found, and Jesus shows up and begins to talk and converse with these two followers or these two disciples. At least they, they had been previously. They're not sure what to make of things, the way that it transpired over the last several days. And in light of the fact that Jesus is making a resurrection appearance to these two individuals, the big question, or at least a big question that needs to be asked is, if he is making an appearance to these two individuals, why, does, why do they not see? Like, he's there to be seen, and yet they don't see, or at least they don't see him for who he is. Right? And see, it, the, the tension, or uh, the paradox, if you will, is ratcheted up even more because of the way that Luke narrates this event. If you go back into your uh, back into your Bible and you look at verse 30, uh, not 31, I'm sorry, uh, verse 16. So Jesus kind of shows up on the road. He starts to engage uh, these individuals. And we're told verse 16, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. 
Their eyes were prevented. The, the word that Luke uses there is a word that in, in just very basic, simple ways means something like uh, to grab hold of or to seize. You can use it when you're talking about arresting someone or taking hold of someone. So it's the idea of their ability to recognize Jesus, their ability to perceive what was happening was being held back. In other words, the problem here is not that these men don't want to see. The problem is not that they are unable to see even. The problem is that they are being prevented from seeing. God is preventing these men from seeing and recognizing Jesus. Does that seem odd? Why would he do that? And as you work through the encounter, the very first explanation comes in the way that Jesus sort of sets the stage or begins to interact with them. Namely, Jesus engages them and he asks them what they're talking about and what's been happening. And when they express, give a sort of a summary account, they express their frustration and their despair and their doubt over some of the reports that they've heard that the tomb is empty and Jesus isn't there, that maybe he actually is alive. Jesus responds in verse 25 by saying, Oh, foolish men and slow hearts to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Why, why didn't Jesus just say, look, it's me. I really am alive. He doesn't do that. Instead of granting the ability for them to be able to see Jesus with their normal human natural eyes, Jesus continues to walk with them in this darkness, in this uh, divinely appointed blindness, if you will. And apparently, for the sole purpose of being able to talk Scripture with them. Why? Isn't this just delaying the inevitable? I mean, ultimately their eyes are going to be open. They're going to see that it actually is Jesus. Why not do it now rather than later? Why go through all the, the drawn-out Bible lesson and Scripture talk and everything? And I think that, that one of the answers that you, that you draw from Luke is in two different passages, which we'll look at here in just a second, is that if Jesus does not show himself to them through the scriptures, they won't truly see Jesus. Let me, let me show you two places where that seems to be explicitly communicated. Flip back a couple pages in Luke to Luke chapter 16. This is Jesus giving this, this parable, this, uh, this lesson about uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus, this is not the one that he, he raised from the dead, but Lazarus, this poor beggar man. And then towards the end of the story, the rich man who was so comfortable in life ends up uh, 
27, Luke 16, 27. This is the rich man who's suffering judgment, asking Abraham to do a favor for him. He says, I beg you, Father, that you send him, send Lazarus, that is, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. One of the reasons, I think, or one of the conclusions that we have to draw from this is that even to see with the natural eyes is not sufficient because of how twisted and how hard-hearted we are in our natural state. Go back to Luke chapter 24. Later in the passage, Jesus appears to, to his disciples. Look in verse 37. In verse 36, Jesus appears. He's standing in the room. He says, Peace be to you, verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. They see Jesus standing in front of them in the flesh. And what do they conclude? That they're seeing the resurrected Lord? No. They conclude that they're seeing a spirit, not an embodied physical person. And then as you skip down a little bit later in verse 41, after Jesus has talked to them, he said, look, scars, nail prints, all this, it's, it's a real body. Verse 41, while they still were unbelieving because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, do you have anything to eat? Jesus appears. And they see with their natural eyes, and they don't believe what they're saying. <laughs> Jesus says, no, you're not seeing a spirit. You're seeing flesh and blood. You're seeing a resurrected Savior. And they still can't believe it. The truth of the matter is, and I think one of the reasons that we have the parable of Luke 16, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be persuaded even if someone is raised from the dead. Luke 24, he appears to his disciples. Even his disciples did not believe that they were actually seeing Jesus in the flesh. It just goes to show how given over our hearts are to unbelief. But the other thing that it does is that it reminds us of the fact that if we're going to see Jesus, we have to see him on his terms. And the terms that Jesus has said is Scripture. Here, let's kind of bring this home to some, to some application here. Here's the point. For, for those of us, for those of us who would rather have more than this, be very, very careful. Because Our dissatisfaction 
with seeing Christ in the pages of Scripture says more about us than it does about Him. Nini, we want things to be on our terms. If I'm going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to believe that His claims are true, if I'm going to believe that He can deliver me here, that He can provide this, or that He can provide that, well, He's going to have to do fill in the blank. I'm going to have to see fill in the blank. It doesn't work that way. Even after the resurrection, Jesus comes to his disciples and he opens their minds to understand the scriptures as if to say, if you don't first see me here, you're not truly going to see me. Because even what you do see of me, you'll twist, you'll distort, I'll be a spirit. I'll be a good teacher, I'll be just, but I won't be who I truly am because you'll be the one setting the terms, setting the agenda. Parents, for those of you, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, any of you who have regular interaction with children, if you desire them to come to know Christ, the best thing that you can do is to bring them to Scripture. Not because you want to give them a new revised form of Aesop's fables, a bunch of moralisms, and you're going to pound into their heads that they're good little boys and girls, respectful, profitable members of society. But you're going to bring them to Scripture because that's where Jesus is found. For those of us, stepping away for a second from parenting, grandparenting, children's ministry, anything like that. For those of us just in our own personal walks with the Lord, in low times or high times or in moments of doubt or frustration, or whatever it is, the message ultimately is the same. If you're willing to see more of Christ, you have to go to the Word. And it's in going to the Word that as Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. The Spirit bears witness to our spirit that this is true. That as we come into contact with the word of Christ, the written word, that word performs its work in us. It does change us. It does sustain us. It does feed us. The second thing to recognize is that along with this idea or this notion that the only way that we truly see Jesus, Jesus for who he really is, Jesus for who he proclaims himself to be is through the scriptures. The second point that we can draw from this is that faith-filled hearts are stirred by the sights and sounds of Jesus in scripture. Faith-filled hearts are stirred 
by the sights and sounds of Jesus in Scripture. I never thought of, made this observation before until someone else pointed it out. But at the end of the encounter that these men have with Jesus, when they're back in the house, Jesus breaks the bread, their eyes are open. Even then, they don't open their own eyes, but their eyes are, are open. It's done for them. Look at verse 32. What's, what's the response that they have once their eyes are open and they actually recognize that this is the resurrected Jesus? Do they say, oh my gosh, we've seen him. And then look, he just disappeared. That is so cool. That's amazing. Isn't it interesting that the thing that they remark about is how their hearts were stirred and were burning when Jesus was talking scripture? That's not to minimize or detract from the gift of being able to see the resurrected Lord. But it is to say something about the privilege and the gift and the reward that Scripture is when you truly come to see Jesus in the pages of Scripture. That these men, or women, you know, man, I don't know, who had this encounter with Jesus cannot get over the fact that Jesus so tightly connected <coughs> Scripture to himself, that Scripture came alive to them.
go to Leviticus and you read, right? Here's what the priest is going to do when he comes with this animal. It's got to be this kind of animal. It can't be that kind of animal. When he gets this kind of animal, then it has to be this kind of this kind of animal. And on and on and on. And if he doesn't have this kind of animal, or if the worshiper doesn't have, then he's got to bring this in his place. And right. Your eyes start to glaze over. We, we would never admit that. Right? But why? <coughs> Starting with Moses. Starting with the law and the prophets. Starting with books like Leviticus. And Numbers. And Deuteronomy. Jesus goes through and he explains how If you don't open my eyes, if you don't give me the ability to see, 
I'm never going to see. Do for me what you did for them. Second thing that I encourage you to do is the, is, uh, is the advice, the encouragement that Paul gives to Timothy. When he's writing to Timothy, he's giving him all these instructions, he's giving him all these things that pertain to the, you know, the mystery and the counsel of God, and Paul makes this brief statement to Timothy that almost is a, is a throwaway line. He says, consider, that's think, meditate, reflect on, consider what I say to you for the Lord will give you understanding. In other words, there's going to be a part of this where the process by which God opens our eyes may actually be long and deliberate. Where you're having to come back to the Word over and over and over again, and you're having just to sit and think and ask questions and chew on and mull and, right, and go to another Christian even. But the encouragement is, is that the more you apply yourself to the Word, the more faithful God is to give insight and to give understanding. So think about it. Amen. Don't just go for the cheap, quick, easy fix. Point number three. The only way to truly see Jesus is the same through the Scriptures. Otherwise, we make Jesus of it, make of Jesus whatever we want. Jesus becomes someone that we're comfortable with, but we have to see him on his terms. Our human nature is too hard, too fickle to be very permanent or long-lasting. Number two, faith-filled hearts are stirred by the sights and sounds of Jesus in Scripture. Everything points back to him. Ask for sight. Ask for understanding. Number three. Seeing Jesus through the scriptures is the prelude to seeing Jesus. There is, there is a pattern here. It's not, that doesn't just hold for Luke 24, but that holds for us as well. The Emmaus disciples first have to see Jesus through the scriptures before they actually get to see Jesus, right? They, in other words, they see him... With the eyes of faith, they see him spiritually before their natural eyes are open to see him in the flesh. Same thing with us. The promise of Scripture is that for all those who have seen Jesus with the eyes of faith now, there's coming a day when you will not just simply see him with the eyes of faith, but you will actually see him. <coughs> But here's the catch. If you don't see him with the eyes of faith today, you don't get to see him as Savior and Lord in the future. <laughs> the pattern is that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, reveals himself to his people through the pages of Scripture. That we see him through the eyes of faith, with the promise that for all those who see him with the eyes of faith in Scripture, that there's coming a day when we will actually see him with newly born, recreated, natural eyes. Our faith will become sight. All 
of this in the meantime, though, is meant to whet that appetite. All of this that we see in Scripture, all of it that's made available to us, is meant to prepare us for this greatest visual shock that will ever happen in our lives, that the world has ever seen. We have the opportunity to be ready for it, to already begin to strengthen our sight and our vision by the gift of Scripture. Edward, do not minimize the gift that you have. Amen. The written word. It gives you the ability to see the living word anytime you want. Let's pray. Give us hungry and burning hearts for that word we ask in Jesus' name.